I'm grateful that we're all here together. I believe that when we get together in spaces like this, these are holy, set-apart spaces, some of the most holy, uh, really set-apart spaces that we could have for the rest of our week. And I believe that what happens on Sunday greatly influences what we do through the week, and we're definitely going to see this when we talk about the topic for today um, that we're going to jump into in just a couple of moments. But who in here got a Hershey's Kiss earlier? Anyone? Did anyone eat it already? How long did it last? Not very long. Uh, some of you haven't. It's, it's okay. We're not going to like, yeah, I thought about this. We're not going to like, you know, take the Lord's Supper of like, mmm, Hershey's Kiss on the way down. We're not doing that. In case some of you are nervous, we're, um, this isn't a talk about the Holy Kiss. Some of you are a little nervous about that. That's not where I'm going with that. Some of you are like, that's good. Now I'm going to listen. I get it. I get it. it. Those awkward moments in church. But I want you to know this. Go ahead and eat it. It's fine. You can even eat in church. I, I don't even mind if you do that. That's fine. Thank you, Julie. You are. Yes. Julie follows instructions so well. I love Julie. She's fantastic like that. Sets a great example for the rest of us. Um, she really does. That is not hyperbole. But anyway, we're in week two of a series called Steadfast. And what we're talking about is the value of relationships. And talking about particularly having sticky relationships in a world coming apart. I don't have to tell you of all the things that are going on in the world and that have been for really decades, but really it's just been just magnified over the last year and a half. But what I do want us to see is this. What we talk about here, when we talk about relationships in this series, greatly affects our witness. It greatly affects how we're seen in the world and how we show up in the world. So it isn't just that we hear these little, these little nuggets and we put them in our mind and then we go out and we just kind of opt in or opt out of these truths. This is a core message of us, as if you're a follower of Jesus, to live out these principles so that we can share the good news with others. And one of the ways that we share good news with others is by having great relationships. So we're going to talk about that today. I want to talk about just briefly give you the bottom line for last week, though, as we begin. Some of you missed that talk. So this is the bottom line. You can catch up online from this one. Week one, the bottom line was this. Disciples of Jesus are to judge one another with right judgment and scriptural discernment. So we're to use right judgment. I talked about all the bad ways that people judge one another. But if you're a follower of Jesus, we're to use right judgment, which means that we can judge one another's character. And if somebody's not living in the truth, we can help them to live in the truth and all these types of things. But we have to have scriptural discernment. So it's core that we understand to at least to an increasing degree the word of God. Because if we're not spiritually discerned, if we're not scripturally discerned, we have, and if we're not ourselves, if we're not allowing God to speak to us about, about what's going on in our life, then we have no bearing to even share anything about something that's going on in somebody else's. And Jesus had a much better way of saying it. He talked about specks and planks. He says, why is it that you, you're so willing to point out a speck in somebody else's eye, but all the while you have a plank in your own eye talking about improper and hypocritical judgment. That's what we talked about last week. Now let's get into what we're going to talk about this week. If you have your Bible, go into the Old Testament and we're going to jump into Proverbs 16, 28. I love verses like this because you know exactly where I'm going and yet there's, there's no mystery in this. There's no question. What does he mean? Like, what did God mean when he said this? There's no way to wiggle away from it to say and just choose to be deceived. Because sometimes we just choose to be deceived. That way we can be disobedient. Did you know that? Sometimes we can just choose to be deceived. Like, I just didn't know that God wanted me to love my neighbor that I just really don't like. Really? Wow. Stop choosing to be 
deceived. That's a whole other talk. But now we're going to get into my talk and maybe a little bit less cynicism. Here we go in Proverbs 16, 28. This is what the word of God says. A perverse man or a dishonest man stirs up dissension and a, what's the next word? A gossip. Maybe your translation says a whisperer. I love that. Yeah, I think the SV says a whisperer. Uh, the whisperer separates close friends. It separates close friends. So a perverse man or perverse man and woman, if you choose, stirs up dissension and a gossip separates close friends. You know, one of the things that is interesting about the Bible is when you run across passages like this, we don't really have to wonder what God's saying, and we don't even, because it makes it so clear in the Word of God, but also we just know it from our everyday life. Who in, who in here has ever lost a friend over words that were said or unsaid? Let's be honest with one another, right? So you already know that this verse is true, who in here has had somebody gossip about you, and because of that, you had to separate that friendship because they were gossiping about you? Raise your hand if, you, if that's ever happened to you. See, we just know this. And I love when, when our life actually verifies so clearly and simply what the Bible is teaching, that, that gossip separates close friends. And the reason why this is so gut-wrenching to me is because what we talked about last week, when Jesus... He redefined, he elevated the type of love that followers of Jesus are not just supposed to have with people who we like, but also people we dislike, people we just can't seem to get along with, people that, that just see the world completely differently. Jesus had a, a certain category for these type of people, and he called them our, what, enemies. This is what he said from Matthew 5, 43-48. If you heard that message, this will be a recap because I shared this last week. You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, Jesus' words, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, listen to this, it's an amazing thing. You'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Meaning that, that there is an aspect of God, of just this love out of the being and just true character of God. And because of that, when we actually pray for those who persecute us instead of talking bad about those who we, who we feel are persecuting us, instead of just using words to, to go at them like people are coming at us or to gossip about someone else, but instead when we choose to love them, even people who we would consider our enemies, that we are acting as just, this is just the Bible, in that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. In other words, when we love our enemies, we're actually acting like true children of God. You see, this, this is a beautiful thing because what happened is there was just a disconnect from your, your mind and it just reconnected with your heart. And the reason why there's silence in the room is not because you're sitting here thinking about what I meant. It's because you know in your heart intuitively what I meant. That God's word speaks like that. Speaks boldly, speaks clearly. This verse continues. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you're to be perfect. You're to be mature. You're to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect or mature or complete in this way. 
So this is ultimately what drives us to be relationally resilient. This isn't our idea. This isn't some creative way that I'm thinking, oh, how can we take a worldly paradigm and apply it to our life and then slap some scriptures to it? Instead, it's completely different. How are we actually going to go out and love our enemies? We need to have tangible things, and the Bible speaks about that. And the Bible speaks clearly and boldly about the power of our words, and particularly today, gossip. Gossip separates close friends, but yet relational resilience is what I talked about last week, is the capacity to keep committed and to recover quickly from what? Relational stress. Because we all endure relational stress. Can we say amen to that? We all do. We all face relational frustration. Marla and I have an amazing marriage, but it's not a perfect marriage. We've been married a long time, some of you longer, and you would even more so know this to be true. There are days in marriage that are just hard, that there's even relational stress and relational frustrations, even with the closest and most intimate relationships that you would have on earth. We just know this to be true. This happens at the friend level. This happens outside of marriage, even in the family level. In relational resilience is the capacity to keep committed in times when the world would drive us apart. In those times of relational stress and, and letdown. Also, relational resilience is this, summarized a different way. It's the ability to connect, reconnect, and or to resist disconnection from other people. In a culture that is, I just want to cancel you, I'm going to pretend you don't exist, I'm going to ghost you on social media, I'm not going to, I don't have the guts to unfollow you, but instead what I'm going to do is I'm going to hide all those posts because you're dead to me. That's the world we live in. That is relational fragility. Being very fragile, fickle. That's not the way of the gospel. This is not the way of God's people. The way of God's people is to be relationally resilient. It's the ability to, uh, to connect, meaning that, that we give ourselves in community to one another, particularly in the family of God. That we don't have to hide parts of our life that are ugly to a few people in the family of God, not to everyone. We're not going to have like an open forum up here. All right, this is, my, this is my five major sins this week. Well, this is my 10 major sins. That's not what I'm talking about here. But the thing is, you need to have a core group of people who you can actually be honest with and who they can be honest with you about you and about them. This is one of the essence of being relation resilient is being gospel people. People who were dead in their sins, and now we together are alive in Christ. That we have a unity in Christ. We have a common unity together under the bride, or that we are the bride of Christ. So relational resilience, back up one there, Michelle. It's, it's this, it's the ability to connect, which means that, that we have to connect, and we have to stop the tendency when it comes to church. Listen to me, please. We have to stop the tendency in church to kind of sit back and say, well, no one talked to me. Well, I, there, I just don't have any friends because nobody talked to me. Yeah, I, I get it. Okay, maybe nobody talked to you. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But did you talk to anybody else? Because sometimes we actually answer our own question, and we actually become the, the solution to our own problem. Because the problem is disconnection from other people, but the solution is us getting connected to other people. So it's connecting, it's also reconnecting, and it's resisting that disconnection. To say, oh my goodness, they let me down again. I'm frustrated again. I can't believe they did that again. 
We can't be like the world. We have to be more like Jesus. This is who Jesus was. This is what Jesus modeled. And this is who that we need to learn to be. Followers of Jesus, remember, they lean in when the world does what the world leans out. Words matter, don't they? So we talk about how gossip separates close friends. We just know this intuitively. We're really going to drill down on this topic of gossip. And because we don't talk about it very often, but yet it's mentioned many times in the Bible, and particularly the power of words. I had a kind of an acquaintance this week, earlier this week, who he messaged me on Instagram, and he was asking about a, a podcast. I had been a guest on another podcast, and so I had said something on the podcast, and it was kind of it was a weird thing because the guy said, hey, you said this at the end of this podcast. I'm like, dude, that was an hour-long conversation. I don't even know what I said like five minutes ago, let alone like all the weeks ago, like at the end of this hour-long conversation. So I went back and listened to it. And I listened to the, because he said it was at the end of this podcast interview on this other show. And so I'm listening to it. And what I talked about, it was, it was in the realm of, of parenthood, but it just works in everyday life. And what I, would ta- what I was saying is, as, as fathers, but certainly just as people, we need to bless and affirm one another. We need to bless and affirm. Blessing and, blessing and affirmation are two different things. They get kind of like jumbled up into the same the same mix, but blessing has to do with personhood. That's just you as a person. That's just, if it's, if it's me saying something to my son, it's like, I love you. You are my son, and I'm so pleased in you, simply because of his person, not because of anything that he's done. It's just because of the person that he is. And we can affirm one another in, in good and God-honoring ways by blessing one another, just offering a blessing But blessing and affirmation, again, they're two different things. Blessing has to do with personhood, but affirmation has to do with something based off performance, something that they've done, something that they've said. There's some tangible thing. It's not just based on them as a person, but it's some way that they've performed. Words matter. We need to have these types of things that would identify us as followers of Jesus. If we're going to be relationally resilient people, if we're also going to be able to rightly judge one another as, as the Word of God tells us to, we also have to, I think, to add even more so the, the, just the benefit of positive words, of blessing and affirmation. James, James 3, particularly in verses 5 and 6, but James talks about the power of the tongue. This is going to be a familiar passage for some of us. This is what James said, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. I don't think I could say that any more boldly and clearly than what James did there. Words matter. Words matter. I grew up in a Typical, I think it was typical, but I mean, everybody's upbringing seems to be typical because, uh, you know, who you are and who you grew up around becomes what you think is normal. And what I thought was normal growing up is, is gossiping. I just thought that was normal because I had one particular family member who would sit literally every night after all the chores were done, dinner was done, and, and, and this in particular individual would call a friend who lived in another city, but th- they knew who was in the other city, and they would just, oh my goodness, I can't believe 
oh, what this person is doing and who they're doing it with, and I can't believe they bought that. They can't afford that. Oh, he lost his job. Well, you know that? He's always been lazy. You know, it's just like all these things back and forth and back and forth. I just thought that was normal because that was, that was part of my upbringing. It's like this, this one family member would literally just sit on the phone and just gossip about other people that they knew or maybe didn't know, but yet it just, it just seemed like it was just such ease. It was just an easy thing to do. And it was just part of my upbringing, and I believe that that was probably part of your upbringing, too. There's just certain things, there are certain patterns that you have in your life that became really easy for you because they were patterns inbred into you. And words, words carry so much weight because we hear scripts all of our lives growing up, and then we mimic those scripts if God doesn't bring about change. What I want is for God to bring about change in my life, and I, I want him to bring about change in your life so that we use words of blessing and affirmation, words of hope and helpfulness to those around us instead of scorching the earth with our tongue and using gossip. You know, you probably heard this from your mom or grandma or some wise person a long time ago, but it's true. I don't know who to give this credit to, so um, just at Chad Zook this one later. But uh, this, is, this is something that I think that we all know this, but yet we forget this when, when we're in the middle of, of gossiping or being tempted to gossip. It's, it's this phrase, whomever gossips with you will probably gossip about you. Right? We kind of think in the moment, we think we're the only one. We're thinking, mm, there's no way. Mm, oh, that just goes down, this conversation. You just have this conversation about these, this other group of people or, or this politician or this, this person who thinks differently or looks differently or this believes differently, and it just goes down. But more than likely, the person you're gossiping to will probably gossip about you, but yet in that moment, we just put such blinders on because it feels so good to do it. But that's just what sin does. Sin is enticing like that. It just feels so right because of our sin nature. That if we're, un, we're left unchecked, if we're not living submitted to the Holy Spirit, our tongue can be the scorched earth using gossip separating close friends. And that's no one else's responsibility, but it's ours. It's ours. Proverbs 26, 22 says this. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's innermost parts. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's inmost parts. Kind of like this chocolate. Told you it wasn't about the holy kiss. No reason to be nervous. It's kind of like this chocolate. Some of you, you know, I mean, this, they, I, think they, I think chocolate is kind of like one of those happy drugs is what they call it. I don't know why. I could probably break into the, into the science of it, but no one really cares, so I won't. Um, but there's something about chocolate that just kind of brings out the happy hormone in our life that we just like this. And that's the reason why some of you, as soon as, as, soon as you were handed that piece of chocolate, before you even coupled that with coffee, by the way, it's a great combination. I just want you to know this. It just is. Drink hot coffee and then chocolate, and then you wash it down with a little bit of coffee. It's, it's good. Trust me. Um, 
cafe's closed, right? So you're not running out of here right now, just in case you, uh, you're thinking that. But this chocolate, it's like some of you, even when you got that chocolate, you're just, you know exactly how chocolate makes you feel. You know how it tastes. You love it. And then as soon as, as you ate it, it went into your body. And then shortly after that, maybe you just had a burst of energy, just a little, like a little perk. You're like, yes, a little bit of happiness. And it goes down just like that, doesn't it? And I only gave you one, which is awesome. Because I know to like get one, it's like to get like one M&M, you're like, thank you, one M&M, what am I going to do with this? Only go to the store to buy more later. But I can give you some more kisses. As a matter of fact, is anybody else just like, maybe you didn't get a Hershey's kiss and you'd like one now? Anyone? I have a couple more. Huh? Oh, well, good grief. That's, that sounds tragic. It melted in your pocket. Here you go. Those melted in my pocket. Enjoy. <laughs> no, they did not. But anybody else? Any other takers? All right, come up and get it. I'm too lazy to walk, so here you go. There you go. Anyone else? Hey, we'll take as much time as we need. I have a few more here. All right. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. Like that chocolate, it just goes down easy. Without the Holy Spirit checking our words, without us living submitted to God, it just goes down without that spiritual awareness of, oh, this is not of the Lord. You know, I ran across this quote this week, which is why I actually titled the message what I did. But this quote was, is this, one who gossips carries boredom in one hand and bitterness in the other. Which is why I've, I don't really like nerd out on, on sermon titles. As a matter of fact, they're kind of like my least favorite thing to do, truthfully. AJ comes in, he's like, hey, he'll be able to give testimony to this. Hey, what's a sermon title? Oh, yeah, I gotta do that, don't I? Like, it's just not my thing. But I love this one. I love it. This, is, this was a sermon title for today. Um, so if you don't have a worship guide, you're, you're missing out. This is brilliant. Boredom and bitterness had a baby and named it gossip. I mean, I thought that was good. Anybody else think that was good? I thought that was good. Some of you are like, yeah, you could do better. I could. I could. I just told you. I just, just typically don't like doing that. But anyway. But there's a lot of truth to that, right? When we're bored... Our minds wander, not thinking about ourselves or even thinking about things that would be helpful about us, but start thinking about other people. And then also the bitterness side of it. It's like if we're bitter with somebody and just have this low-level bitterness, then usually that comes out in our words, doesn't it? And sometimes it comes out in words that are like gossip. Because the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's innermost parts. In social science, gossip usually is defined as communication about a person who isn't present in a way that involves evaluation of that person. It's like evaluating the person. Okay, some of you are unclear on what gossip is. It's this evaluation. It's like, it, it, like going into it like I can do it better, I am better. Um, either that or there's a hurt that's driving it, but it's, it's defined as this communication of course, when the person's not there, because half the things that we would say maybe about a person, we would never dare, dare say to their face. Whole other reason for that. One of the things I found, too, is curiosity, exaggerations, embellishments, and speculations all fuel gossip. 
I've actually been wanting to tell you as a church body this for quite some time. Because we can become so curious about what's going on in somebody else's life. And what's driving that curiosity is not love for neighbor, but it's just looking for dirt on neighbor to talk about them. Can we be real about that for a couple of minutes? And it comes across as this curiosity. Well, uh, you know, that's just what I heard. What, did you hear that too? And then it's just a question, and it seems like maybe it's, it's even cloaked in a prayer concern. Well, I want to pray for them, but first I want to talk bad about them for 10 minutes, and hopefully I'll pray about them later. But it's, it's hidden in curiosity. Exaggerations grow, embellishments, and then... Also, there's some speculations. It's like, you know this may be fact, and you know this fact, but yet you create your own line of speculation in between to connect those two things so it makes sense to you, and so you can tell the story to somebody else. question is, why do people gossip? Sunday school answer is what? Sunday school? Oh, we don't have Sunday school. Never mind. It's sin. The Sunday school answer, we had Sunday school, you missed it, it was at 9.30, just kidding. The Sunday school answer is sin. But some other reasons why people gossip is this, to feel superior over someone else. Or to feel in control, maybe in a life that's out of control. Just out of pure boredom, like we pointed out a couple minutes ago. To feel connected. Just to feel connected. Like they don't, they just, they don't know how to say something positive, so they just kind of connect to something negative, and that just goes down easy, so that's what they talk about. To get attention. Maybe because they're just lonely. And, and negative attention is better than no attention. At least it seems that way. Or perhaps out of anger or unhappiness. See, sadly, what happens with gossip is gossip actually dehumanizes in order to paint a false character of that person. It dehumanizes them. When we gossip about someone else or gossip is happening about somebody else, what we're, what we're also implying is, I have this person all figured out. I can judge them accordingly because their life is really simple and I'm better than them anyway because after all, I would never compare their strengths to my weaknesses. So what we try to do is what? We tip the scales to benefit us to talk about something that we think is a strength to smear them with their weaknesses in hopes to give a false character of that person. This is what gossip is. To a whole other level. Gossip does this as well. Not only does it dehumanize, but gossip is a weapon against our neighbor when we ought to love our neighbor. That's the reason why gossip separates close friends. That it's a weapon against our neighbor. See, now we have a whole other category for this. Now we're starting to see more clearly what what is truly happening in these moments. We need to do something to where we we look at this with more clear eyes, spirit-filled as we need to be, so that we can actually love people who are around us and not just talk about 
people around us. Because when we do that, it forms scorched earth, and it is a weapon against them. It dehumanizes them, and they will run away from you because gossip always separates close friends. Straight Bible. Proverbs 16, 28 again says this, A perverse man or a dishonest man stirs up dissension or conflict. And a gossip, a whisperer, separates close friends. Gossip, in, in this direct sense, it means to make complaining remarks or noises under one's breath. To make complaining remarks or noises under one's breath. You see this over and over. Old and New Testament. To complain or to grumble is another way of saying that word. Or to slander. To complain, to grumble, or to slander. And yet a person can also grumble or gossip against God. There's an example of this in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 1, 26-28. When God had sent out the, the spies and Joshua and Caleb had already spied out the land, and they said, yes, that land is good. We need to possess the land. And so they already knew that they were going to possess the land, but now the discussion was going to be where they're actually going to go in. That was all the discussion was. And yet in this passage in Deuteronomy 1, 26, we see that we can even grumble or gossip against God. This is what it says. But you are unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to, de to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made us lose heart. They say the people are stronger. Notice, they say. Not what did God say, what they say. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large and the walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. This grumbling against God. How many times have, have you or been around somebody who mumbles under their breath something about God? And maybe, maybe you or I have actually done this where we're like the Israelites, where we've mumbled things under our breath against God, but we've actually mumbled a lie that somebody else whispered to us that we received that lie, and now we're grumbling and we're repeating the lie against God. Gossip comes from the heart and often stems from a hurt. I invite you to go to the New Testament and to Luke 6, starting in verse 43. Gossip comes from the heart and it stems from a hurt. Luke 6, 43 through 45 says this, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a good tree bear bad fruit. Or bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. And yet we're reminded about the heart. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrases, what he said about the human heart. This is the unregenerate heart, I will tell you, that he makes reference to in 
Jeremiah 17, 9. This is Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of that. He says, the heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. But I, God, search the heart and examine the mind. I get to the heart of the human. I get to the root of things. I treat them as they are, not as we pretend to be. Not as we pretend to be. That God speaks to the heart. It is only God who knows and can delve into our heart. We can't, we can't dabble. We dare not dabble into the issues of the heart. God made us for who we are, and, for, and He's also creating us, those of us who are in Him, to be more like Him. So consequently, we need to go to the Lord so He can examine our heart to show the things that are in us that are not of Him. And of course, a person can gossip even against people we don't even know. We can gossip against people we don't even know. Social media is famous for this. It's famous. I found a a column this week, or two weeks ago rather. It was this, 10 ways to gossip in 2021. You're right on the edge of your seat. Can't wait for this one, right? First one is email. Because you can send out You can create your own list. There's a lot of emails that go out, and you can actually do it anonymously. Well, it's kind of anonymous. Google knows, and the NSA knows. But other than that, it's just you and the person, but they just don't know it's from you. You can do it through Facebook. Smear somebody without saying their name, but yet your little friend circle knows who you're talking about. But you just didn't put their name out there because, you know, we live in the South, and we want to be nice. So we only gossip and don't use names. I say that with a lot of brokenness in my heart because I've seen I know that it's true. On this list was Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, websites, YouTube, anonymous comments, texting now because of all of that, and then blogs. There was a a psychologist who claimed this or a scientist, rather, American scientist by the name of Jonah Berger, he said that Facebook particularly evokes powerful emotions, direct quote, powerful emotions like happiness and laughter and even anger, which increases the chance of people sharing these feelings with friends online. He continues, social media moguls have developed systems to manipulate your emotions, polarize people, and spread misinformation and gossip. There are people paying millions and millions of dollars to manipulate you to gossip about other people. And particularly, people you don't even know. It's everywhere. So what I'm not, I'm not saying, well, now you need to write off all social media. I know where he's going with this. That's not what I'm saying. I think we need, need to redeem social media with, with truth, with things that are positive, to share the light of Christ. I don't think we need to just give all that over to the, dark, you know, to the darkness of the world. I think we need to counter that darkness with light. And by us avoiding where the rest of the world is meeting digitally, I think is foolish, truthfully. And I know it's inconvenient, and I know some of you don't like it, and you're not going to do it even if I suggest it, and that's fine. You, you can do what you want, but I'm not advocating we just write all that off to the rest of the world because that's where lost people are meeting, and that's where light needs to meet that darkness. What I'm saying is when, when it comes to anything with social media, we need to do so with wisdom. We need to do so with wisdom. 
I'm going to summarize and bring my close to a talk with this. Proverbs 26.20 says this, Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. Without fire, a wood goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. So what are we to do if we're going to be a relationally resilient people? What are we going to do? How do we avoid this? How can we become relationally resilient? How can we see to it that our conversation, that our words have merit and value? And then it will become the score stirf separating close friends. I'll give some suggestions. Call gossip evil because it is. Call gossip evil because that's what it is. It's not just harmless conversation. It's evil. Second, be less concerned with the sins of another and be more concerned with the sin in you. Another. Pretty clear on the next one. Don't have to wonder what I mean. Don't grumble or gossip. Took out all the mystery on that one. Another one. Confess your sins to God. Confess your sins to God. Because that's what it is. Confess your sins to God. Write your relationship with Him. He will write your heart so the words that flow are words of blessing and affirmation and not cursing and gossip. Confess your sins to one another. Confess your sins to one another. Find a few people who are in your circle to share what's really going on in your life. As soon as we expose these sins to the light, they lose power. But they thrive in the darkness. Expose them. Confess the sins to God. Confess your sins to one another. You can look at James 5, 7 through 9 or 16 through 19 to see why we need justification or to see the biblical justification for confessing our sins to one another. And lastly, honor one another with words of blessing and affirmation. We're going to end today's message with uh, just a a song of, of declaration after we have some some time of just asking the Lord to examine us. But I want to kind of create this mock scenario while the band comes forward. I want to create this mock scenario. Let's suppose that somebody is gossiping just mercilessly about Jane. Now, I chose Jane because we have no one in the community named Jane. And because it's important not to feed the gossiper with curiosity or agreement or further questions to spur that on, there's some things that we need to say if somebody is gossiping against this, this fictitious person named Jane. If people are gossiping about Jane, here's one thing you could say. Gossip separates close friends, and Jane is a valued friend. That gossip's going to stop. Another thing you could say is, I notice that you talk a lot about Jane. I'm curious as to why she interests you so much. Another, let's take a look at it from Jane's viewpoint. I'm more interested in what God is up to in your life. You want to shut down the conversation? That might do it. We out. 
All right, here we go. Here's another. Is this issue serious enough to bring to Jane? If yes, go talk to Jane. If not, stop the conversation. Another thing. It's two more. Let's talk about something more positive. It's a kinder, gentler way of saying that. And another one is this. I feel uncomfortable listening to negative judgments about Jane. I just I feel uncomfortable listening to negative judgments about Jane. Maybe we should just go talk to her if we think it's that important. I invite you to stand.